Ephesians chapter 3. Today we're talking about big rocks. Big rocks. A story is told of a college professor who was teaching his students uh, a lesson on time management. And he got out this big, clear, wide mouth jar. And then he got out a five-gallon bucket full of large rocks. And he filled that jar, what looked like completely full, with those large rocks. And then asked the class, he said, is this jar full? And uh, the class gave a resounding, yes, it's, it's, it's full. You can't get any more rocks in that jar. Well, then he reached behind the desk where they couldn't see and pulled out a jar of gravel, small gravel. He poured that whole jar of gravel in and all the gravel mixed in the crevices between the big rocks. He said, okay, now is this jar full? And, and the people said, well, you know, students said, well, yeah, we think it is. And they're kind of figuring it out now, right? He's, he's, he might be trying to trick them again, you know. So lo and behold, he reaches behind that desk and pulls out a jar of sand and pours that entire jar of sand and it fills in all the rest of those small crevices between all of the pieces of gravel. And he asks once again, now is the jar completely full? And the students at this point are like, uh, I, yeah, I think so. Well, then he reaches behind that desk and pulls out a pitcher of water and pours that entire pitcher of water into that jar and completely saturates that jar and all of the sand. And he asks the class, he says, okay, class, now the jar is full. What is the moral of the story? What's the lesson here? And one student raised her hand and said, well, no matter how much we have going in life, we can always do more, right? You can always put more in the jar. Well, the professor says, no, that's not the lesson at all. The lesson is if you don't put the Big rocks in what? First. Then they'll never go in the jar. And so in this passage today, Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is going to talk about the big rocks. The stuff that's got to go in our jar of faith. It has to be there in order for us to grow in Christ and know Christ and experience the fullness of all that God has for the has for us in salvation, the riches, as we've read already in this passage or in this in this book, the riches of our glorious inheritance in the saints. What are the big rocks of faith? Well, let's read together Ephesians chapter three, and Paul shares this with us through a prayer, another prayer. We've already looked at one in chapter one, but a prayer that he prayed over the church at Ephesus, and really over all the churches that he started. Ephesians 3.14, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth 
and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Uh, big rocks. Before we talk about those big rocks, obviously, Paul talks about the big rocks of our faith, those aims or targets of his ministry is really what he's talking about here because what you pray for is what you work for, especially as a minister of the gospel. So he's saying these are the big rocks. These are the targets and the aims, the goals of my ministry for you. Before we talk about those rocks, notice here he talks to us about how to pray. And is prayer a big rock? Come on, church. Is prayer a big rock? Yeah. Prayer is the first rock that ought to go in our bucket every day, right? It's seeking Jesus and bringing everything before him and laying our life before him. He talks to us about how to pray here. Notice he gives us the posture of prayer. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. And uh, scripture actually talks about bowing our knees. It talks about standing and praying, walking and praying with our eyes open. Uh, and, uh, and so it talks about multiple postures of prayer, but really there's only one, come on church, heart posture of prayer. And that's what he's referring to here. Yes, bowing our knees physically is a sign of submission to the Lord, and it's a good way to pray. But also, ultimately, he's focusing on humility here. So should we come before the Lord with humility in our heart? Absolutely, we need him. So we see the posture of prayer. Secondly, we see the person that we pray to. For this reason, I bow my knees before who? The Father. Jesus taught us, our Father, to pray in that way, right? Our Father who's in heaven. Aren't you glad we have a loving heavenly Father who loves to bless his children, who knows our needs before we ever ask? And so we pray to the Father. Notice the path of prayer here. We pray through the Son in the Spirit. And so it's through Jesus, his precious blood that was shed for us. That's the only way we have access to God the Father in prayer. He is our great mediator and the great intercessor for us. And it's in the Spirit. The Spirit of the God is the one who gives us uh, direction and counsel in prayer and unction and burden, if you will, in our prayer life. And so we pray through the Son to the Father in the Spirit. So we see the path of prayer. We see some petitions for prayer. He prayed for spiritual strength and depth in the love of Christ. And so our prayers ought to be marked by, when we pray for one another, praying for spiritual strength, inner stuff to take place. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. He talks here about the power of prayer, doesn't he? How many of you know today want to testify God is able to do more than we can ever ask or imagine? Isn't that right? Far more abundantly, it says here, beyond all we can ever even come up with in prayer, God can do all when we surrender it to his will. So incredible power in prayer, but he finishes by the point, talking about the point of our prayer life. What's the point of prayer? It's to give God glory, isn't it? That our lives and the lives of others would glorify God. So where do we learn how to pray, church? Listen, you want to know how to pray? Get in the word of God 
and you'll learn how to pray because we see some incredible prayers here. And in this prayer, again, what a pastor prays for is what he's working for. I mean, this is the aim of the very ministry of Paul. In fact, he talked about his stewardship of the gospel and his ministry to them right before this passage at the beginning of chapter 3. And so these are the big rocks that have to go in the bucket. What are the big rocks of faith? Number one, first big rock we see in this passage is the Spirit-filled life. Church, do we need the Holy Spirit? Come on now. Let's interact a little bit. Do we need the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Uh, we are completely uh, powerless to live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit. And that's what he says here. Again, this is the second major prayer that's listed in Ephesians that Paul was praying for the church. It's worth noting both of the prayers deal with the spiritual condition, listen, not the material needs of the body. Certainly, it's not wrong to pray for physical and material needs. But the emphasis in these prayers is on the spiritual. The point is, come on, church, if the inner man is right, the outer man will be okay. That's the whole point. Whether even if you're sick or you're going through financial troubles or relational struggles, uh, it's certainly uh, God comes in and he blesses and he provides and he brings reconciliation. He works miracles. That's the God that we serve. But even when the circumstances are not favorable, when my heart's right, come on, church, everything's okay, isn't it? Everything's okay. And so uh, so many of our prayers, if we get honest about it, come on, church, focus more on the physical and material needs than on spiritual needs. God wants us to pray for the spiritual strength of one another and of those around us. And so uh, spiritual strength, what we need more than perfect health, wealth, and prosperity is to be filled with, led by, and strengthened spiritually by the Holy Spirit. That's what we need more than anything. It's the strengthening of God's Holy Spirit. The word power here. He says, I pray you'd be strengthened with power. The word power is the word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. Hey, it's uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit in us is a dynamic Power. That's a good question, isn't it? Do you have, do I have, do we have a dynamic Christian life? Dynamic, growing and powerful, transformative. Is that the experience that we have with God and in ministering to others? Or is our Christian life just ho-hum, go through the motions, show up to church, go about our life and... And there's no real power there. Uh, God wants us to have power, power through the Holy Spirit. So, oh, how we need the Holy Spirit. Speaking of power, it reminds me of the story of uh, the Tournament of Roses parade in Pasadena, California. Years ago, in one of the parades, all the beautiful floats there, right? And all these different companies and organizations spend all this money and well, the, the parade is moving along and all of a sudden one of the floats ran, ran out of gas right in the middle of the, of the Tournament of Roses parade. So here it is stuck and everything had to stop until they got a gas can and came and filled up that float with gas. The funniest part of it is it was a float that was sponsored by the Standard Oil Company. So with all their vast Oil and gas reserves, 
Their float was the one that ran out of gas. Oh, children of God, do we have a vast supply of resources available to us through the Holy Spirit of God? Strength and wisdom and peace and power? Absolutely we do. But you got to get filled up through prayer. Through prayer and the Word of God. It's a big rock, man. It's essential. We've got to have the filling of the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, two things happen. You ready? Number one, integrity. Galatians chapter 5, what does it say? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Come on now. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I may have swapped faithfulness and gentleness in the order there, but... That's that's your characteristics. In other words, the Christian life, we cannot live a a Christ-like life, Christ-like attitude and actions without the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that today? It's only through the Holy Spirit that we can live a life of integrity, congruence, congruence, a life that is congruent with what we say, actions and words that line up, not perfection, but a humble direction of life. So the filling of the Holy Spirit speaks of integrity, but secondly, it also speaks of ministry. Where do we get that boldness to share our faith? A burden to serve, a burden to give, that unction, deep desire to pray and to intercede for others. Where does that come from? It comes only from the Holy Spirit of God. Without the Holy Spirit, our ministry to the to others in Jesus' name is completely impotent. It lacks any power and any passion, any zeal whatsoever. And so are you living the Spirit-filled life? Or are you all dressed up but out of gas? Listen, today we need the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's big rock number one. It's got to go in the bucket. Every day, every morning, we should pray. Father, forgive me of sin and fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Okay? Rock number one, spirit-filled life. Rock number two, let's keep moving. The steadfast love of God. Is it important that we know and recognize the love of God? Come on, church. It is, isn't it? That's where we find our identity. If you have repented of sin today and placed faith in Jesus, you and I, we are no longer children of wrath. We are children of God. We rest in His love. We are forgiven. If you're, if you're saved today, you're forgiven, justified, made right with God. You're protected, provided for by our loving Heavenly Father, redeemed, reconciled, once enemies because of our sinfulness and disobedience to our holy God, worthy God that we just sang about. Uh Oh, we deserve his judgment, but Jesus took that for us on the cross. And so we we are now no longer enemies. Come on now. We've been adopted into the family of God. Loved, wanted. God wants you in his family today. No matter how broken or busted up or messed up your life is, he wants you in his family. That's what the gospel is all about. And so love, I presume... That if God and the Christian life itself could be summarized in one word, that word would be love. 
Think about it. Love defines the nature of God. First John chapter four. What did John say? God is what? Love. Uh, love is how God relates to the world. How do we know that? Well, John three sixteen. For God so loved who? The world that he gave his one and only son. Not just that he loved his own children. He loved the world so much that he gave his own son. We are converted. Listen to this. This is good. We are converted unto salvation by love. It's through the Holy Spirit, but it's by the understanding of the love of God. The law of God shows us our need for salvation. Can we keep the law of God? Come on now. All his commands, all of them perfectly. You ever told a lie? Yes, you told, we all have, haven't we? You, you ever done anything wrong? You ever been mean to someone, unloving or unkind? Absolutely, we all have. We all fall short of that, of the law of God. We don't go to heaven by good works because we can't keep it all. Right? There's only one who's perfect, that's God. Uh, but in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, it says it is the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. So it's that recognition of the gracious, loving kindness of God when we come to understand that though I am an incredible sinner, God has unfathomable love for me. That, that's what draws us through the Holy Spirit unto salvation. And so we are converted by love. We're defined by love. John 13, 35, Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love. One for another. We are eternally protected by love. Isn't that good news today? Romans 8, 38, 39. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angel, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. Come on, children of God, can separate us from the love of God. Oh, the steadfast love of God. That's how much God cares for you and for me today. He sent his one and only son to die for us. And we are to be rooted and grounded in that love. Isn't that what he says here? Be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Our lives should be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Rooted there is is a, a term about plants, about agriculture, right? Rooted. The strongest plants typically have the deepest, strongest roots. And they're able to draw all that water and those nutrients from that good soil. And so too our hearts are to be good, humble, tender soil before the Lord and to receive of His Word and of His love in a personal relationship. We are to be deeply rooted in the love of God. And where we're rooted in His love, where there's root, there's fruit, right? That's where the fruit comes from, is being rooted in the love of God. But also the word grounded here is an architectural term. It speaks of the foundation, the very foundation of a building. In other words, it is the love of God that provides that strong foundation for our Christian life. The reason that some of you have walked away from God and from the church at times, or listen to me, or continue to pop in and out of serving God and worshiping God and not, is simply because your life is not rooted and grounded, founded, built upon the love of God. 
Here's good news today. Children of God, God is not mad at you today. Reminds me of a story of a father and a son and a little 10-year-old boy, and, and the little boy had just been terrible for many months now. He was getting in trouble at school. He was mouthing off to his mother at home. Right? He was tearing stuff up at the house. He was being mean to other kids and to his siblings. And his parents had done everything they knew to do. Well, finally, one day, the kid had another outburst with his mother and went up in the bonus room upstairs, playroom, started tearing things up. And finally, the father had just had enough. And so he went into the room, into his son's room. He said, son, come on, we're going into your room. We're going to, we're going to have a talk just a minute. And they walked into that room and that, and his father started taking that belt off. Come on, somebody. Started taking that belt off. He thought, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to get a whipping right here, man. I have really crossed the line. But not only did he take his belt off, he took his shirt off. Uh-oh. We're fixing to throw down up in here, right? This little boy, he's like, oh, my goodness, what is about to happen? And the father taught his son a lesson that he never forgot, and he changed his life forever. That little, boy, that little boy said, no, daddy, no, daddy, I don't want a whipping daddy. Well, he said, no, son, I'm not going to whip you. You're going to whip me. And he handed that little boy his belt, and he knelt down beside his bed. And that little boy started to weep. And he said, no, daddy, no, daddy, no, daddy. And after what seemed like an eternity, it was only just a handful of minutes, but what seemed, after what seemed like an eternity, the little boy finally laid that belt down. And the father knew that the lesson had been taught, and he turned around and looked at that boy. He said, son, listen to me. That's what God did for us. He sent Jesus to take the punishment we deserve. That is the grand love of God. We are the ones who nailed Jesus to the cross. But oh, out of love for us, he took it and he took that punishment. Friends, listen to me. It's a good word today. Some of you come in today thinking that God's ready to whip you. The good news is he's already whipped Jesus. For you and for me. That's how much he loves us. Yes, he chastises his children. But his conviction is always constructive, edifying. He builds us in what? In his love. It's when we come to recognize and rest in the love of God that the most conviction comes in our life to live for God. The reason some people continue to disobey God and run from Him is simply because they don't understand His love. Listen, today, God doesn't want to whip you. He whipped Jesus. He wants a relationship with you. Just come to Him and admit your sin and turn from it. All that stuff of the world and all those sinful things, disobedience to God's commands, it's just walking away from God's love, His best for your life. It's not punitive. Oh, the steadfast love of God. Every morning, that's a big rock that's got to go in the bucket. As we pray, we're filled with the Spirit. 
is to say, Lord Jesus, I rest in your love today. I am loved by you. It's not about my performance today. My value is not in what other people think of me or whether or not I have worldly accolades, accomplishments, or success. It's not found in how perfectly I obey you. It's found in your love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. So glad you could join us. If you've given your heart to Jesus, text Hope Jesus, all one word, text Hope Jesus to 77411. Hope Jesus 77411. And let me encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. If you hadn't done that already, make sure to hit that subscribe button and share it out. You never know whose life might be changed by simply sharing this message today. So share it out. Okay? And so thank you again for listening in. And we invite you to listen in with us next week.